To use the measurement to make decisions. If you don't, uh, if you get all this measurement and it's great and it piles high and you can have reports to the left and reports to the right, but you're not making decisions based on them, then you are not using your measurement uh, correctly. Hello and welcome to Masters of Calms, the podcast where transformative communication techniques straight from the pros. In the next episode, our guest expert will share his recommendations on how to build consistent communication channels in decentralized organizations. I'm Lamar Williams, host of Masters of Comms, as well as head of partnerships at Sociable. And today I'm accompanied by our guest from Clifford Chance, Paul Osgood, Global Head of Internal Communications. Hi, Paul, and welcome to Masters of Comms. Hi, Lamar. Thanks for inviting me to join you. Why don't you take a minute to just introduce yourself to our listeners? Uh, yeah, so I've been working in communications uh, all of my career. I was a partner at Brunswick Group, where I uh, set up the internal communications practice. Um, worked at Colt as a corporate affairs director, global head of internal communications for Philips in in Amsterdam, worked at BG Group during a really interesting time when they were being acquired by Shell. And uh, now here I am at Clifford Chance. Wow, you have done a lot. Well, tell us a little bit more about Clifford Chance. Uh, can you give us a brief overview? Yeah, so people may not have heard of uh, Clifford Chance, uh, but uh, believe me if I tell you that Clifford Chance is one of the world's preeminent law firms. We work in five continents, 21 countries, and 31 offices. Um, there are about 7,000 employees at Clifford Chance, and that comprises partners, lawyers, and what we call business professionals, uh, who are the non-lawyers. And we're the type of law firm who clients come to for those sort of bet the company type of transactions or issues. So that's why I think we're known as, a, as one of the world's preeminent law firms, because we tend to have a very stellar client list and work on advising and providing legal services to some of the major uh, organizations in the world. Wow, perfect. Thank you. Let's jump right in. Uh, we're going to be chatting about the most impactful ways to build consistent communication channels and dis decentralized working environments. And what we're seeing from many internal communication professionals is they continue to question how to really embed consistency in their communication channels to keep employees engaged when working in these conditions. So have you experienced similar challenges with building consistency in your communications at Clifford Chance? Well, Lamar, yeah, we are in this post-COVID world and that post-COVID world means we have a whole a new environment. If you think about the, the pandemic from a global organization's perspective, I, I think that for me, there are two senses. One is the pandemic seems a long, long time ago in many parts of our organization, you know, a distant memory. But then the other sense is that we're only just in the place where people are uh, beginning to meet from a global perspective face to face. So those uh, international meetings are only just really uh, coming back into the fore. And in, in one sense, therefore, um, that, that sense of post-pandemic is a real and present issue. Um, so we have that kind of historic and the real and present that we need to address. And when we're thinking of that from a communication perspective, the thing that I 
find most um, attractive is to think about this shift of power, which has moved towards the employee and away from the employer. Now, a lot of this is about geography, and hopefully we'll talk a bit more about you know what it means to be in an office and, and out of an office. But that shift of power and how organizations are thinking about uh, either encouraging people back to work or encouraging them to work in a way that's hybrid and, and um, working together as an organization are absolutely in the forefront of what we need to uh, consider. So the challenges that I see in this present time are sort of that where and how to work and, and, and hence where and how we communicate with those people who are working for our organization. Um, and also we are a regulated business. And so therefore being subject to the regulations of a regulator, we need to demonstrate various standards in the way we train people and we develop people particularly the lawyers of the future. So, so that in, add that to hybrid working, and you can see suddenly for any regulated business that uh, these are new and uh, emerging issues in the, in the post-pandemic environment. And, and obviously, in order to look at that, then what we're really saying is that agility is key. So as communicators and communications professionals, agility is now absolutely at the forefront of our minds. That's great. And in understanding that these environments need to have uh, what I'm hearing is structured and agile comms, what approach or strategy would you say that you have taken to address these communication challenges? And how would you balance this strategy to address company culture uh, in order to know what to say or what should stay or what should get thrown out so that employees are uh, truly engaged? Well, Amar, you really put your finger on the issue because if we see the post-pandemic period as a new paradigm for communicators, it's that opportunity that we have to make decisions about what in our communicators' bag of tricks do we remain with, what should we throw out. And the great thing is that those old rules and those old notions do not need to apply. So just as uh, the pandemic has accelerated change, I think we can also accelerate communications development. So, so for us at Clifford Chance, you know, we're considering agile working as this new paradigm. And therefore, we're looking very much at the concept of both team and organization as having been completely disrupted. And therefore, our view is that we need to look to see how we can rebuild those concepts of team and organization. We need to reimagine how we can consider teams and our broader organization. But the important thing is that this is a period of transition, and I don't believe that at this time we can be definitive. So we have to consider this to be a period of transition. If you think about Clifford Chance as, as an organization, then the role of communication becomes absolutely core to that notion of team and organization. And I'm always been of the belief that coming to work is actually based on sort of the old uh, Victorian industrial revolution, where people came to a workplace in order to to go to the factory to work the machine. And for some bizarre reason, we've managed to sort of sustain this notion for um, rather longer than the factories in the, and the machines in the factories have existed. And what was really interesting about the pandemic and the need for people to remain away from work is that I think 
actually that notion has at last been destroyed. So no longer is the building in which people work, whether that be uh, a shop, whether it be an office, whether it be um, uh, a workplace, no longer is that building as important. Now it's all about the intangible. Now for an organization like Clifford Chance, this is absolutely fascinating because we have very much built our attraction strategy on the work environment. And we're very lucky that within our offices, all those continents and all those countries, we actually provide what we consider to be a very um, superior work environment. So for example, in London, obviously, we have an, a gym within the office, we have a swimming pool uh, within the office, we have a hairdresser, we have dry cleaners, all within the office. Now, you know, the, the the nice thing is that's a great attraction. And one of the reasons it's there is to ensure that our lawyers you know, do not have to um, spend their time doing uh, other things and they don't have to go far to do them. So, that, you know, it's sort of helping them to, to work as hard, hard as possible. But but of course, those notions are less important now. And that's what's really interesting. So we as an organization perhaps have further to go than, than many others, because that change is really a move away from the physical environment being at the center of our existence uh, within the organization and actually more about being part of the organization and what the organization can bring beyond the fabric of, of the workplace. So if we think about how in a, in a normal working environment, uh, you know, the, the corridor conversations that take place, the ability for culture to be reinforced, for people to be engaged and influenced by the corridor conversation, that of course is now no longer as uh, reliable as it has been in the past. And so our challenge as communicators is particularly around leadership. We need to make them um, sort of visible and available, but not in necessarily a physical environment. So this really does push the presence of the leadership uh, online so that we can ensure that similar types of corridor conversations or the sense of the culture, the sense of the influence can be translated online. And that's not necessarily um, very easy. But it's also, I think, about a deep level of inclusion, because in a hybrid uh, working environment, we need to involve everyone wherever they are and however they are connected to our organization. And, and I think that hybrid is a big, big shift for, for us all. It's not all in and all out. And obviously, pandemic was mainly focused on all out. So everyone was in the same position. Now we're coming to terms with how we can think about our communication solutions um, and think about them in a hybrid way and ensure that the very best minds, the very best ideas, the very best people have an ability to contribute equally wherever they are and wherever they are seated uh, in, the, in the process of uh, doing their work. When we think about, so what does that mean in reality? So how do we, how do we bring that um, to the fore? Well, one of the things we discovered during the pandemic was that people's sense of belonging in, a, in an online environment needs to be probably more strongly nurtured. And we found that the use of regular updates, the, the ability for people to connect with leadership in um, hopefully interesting and dynamic ways have been really important. And in particular here in the UK, one of the challenges we felt was that we needed to try to find a way that online uh, leadership can be both human, it can be engaging and interesting. And whilst it's a very, very simple 
critical thing. We, we actually create um, at Clifford Chance and we continue to create a weekly uh, news program for people within the UK business where the regional managing partner will interview someone for um, maybe 10 minutes. We'll find out about either uh, part of our work, uh, part of our client work. We'll find out about what happens within the organization, how we create the ability to do our work, whether that be through our functions, our finance, our human resources function, and indeed how things like our affinity groups work and operate in order to uh, engage people across a wide spectrum of interests and opportunities. And what we found is in the post-pandemic environment, that is equally important. This build it and they will come. We have a uh, an event, we have an activity, and it can be relied on. And it can be a relied on to be delivered, to be available to people. And once you are able to give confidence in that uh, event or that activity being available and consumable by our people, then it becomes part of actually the culture and the fabric of the organization itself. Alongside that, then obviously we see now global town hall meetings are much more significant in how we perhaps set tone and culture within the organization because it is one of those touch points which is important to individuals. And that, and we very much, by measuring, we do find that people are looking for insight into tone and culture by tuning into those type of uh, events. And then perhaps the third area that... Um, we think around cadence and channel that, that is probably very, very important is this ability to achieve cut-through communications and how to ensure that, that those cut-through communications in, in no doubt everyone experiences these busy uh, workplaces um, where there's a lot of communication. And cut-through communication is great, but it just doesn't need to shout. And, and if it shouts too loud, then we just end up with some form of nuclear arms race between uh, rival functions and practices, all of whom want to be heard, and they want to be heard louder than the one next to so that's really, really important. And part of the role of the communications professional in our business is to help people to look at uh, uh, the range of activity, to organize that activity and to if, if like, manage the volume of that activity. And when I say volume, I mean <laughs> volume in terms of the, the noise uh, that it might make. Yeah, I really uh, enjoy your idea on uh, what it sounds like is communications coming to to being the core of uh, the organization and and team, I would say, along with this idea to focus on maybe some ideas of the intangible concepts. But what would be the necessary solutions that need to be put in place in order to ensure that, you know, all team members have access to the same information and are aligned with the company goals and vision. And a follow-up question would be what steps uh, can be taken to ensure that communications are timely and effective across those many time zones that you talked about or regions? It's a really um, good question, Lamar, because when we think about communications within an organization of our size, and perhaps because of the number of offices we have, uh, we, we feel very much a global organization. In many respects, what 
we think is important is actually going back to some of those basics. And, and that's things like clarity about a single source of the truth. So your intranets or your equivalent intranets in other organizations actually become even more important in this sort of agile and hybrid world because people need to be able to consistently and confidently receive information or find information that is relevant to their role or to their understanding of the organization. Now, what that means for us as communicators is that I think we have to be much more careful in the way that we curate information and make it available to people across organizations. And we have to be very deliberate about that because if we are sloppy or slapdash in thinking about how we hold information that is readily available to people who aren't having constant reinforcement within the working environment with their colleagues, that information needs to be available, it needs to be accurate, and it needs to be a lifeline for those people who are not regularly in the workplace where they can hear and be influenced uh, by their colleagues around uh, some of these matters. At the same time, we need dialogue to breathe more and to live within the organization. And, and you know, dialogue within a hybrid environment, uh, for me, that is about, again, the communications pro professionals identifying much more accurately where those opportunities exist for in-person or online informal discussion and debate. So if, for example, uh, organizations such as ours, where we use enterprise-wide social media, and then the other thing that I think is quite important is the ability to mix informality and formality. Because in a, in a uh, let's say, the old ways of working, where people were in a location and they worked uh, within a location, the ability to understand what was informal and formal communication was very easy because the people could uh, have instant opportunities for feedback and recognition around those uh, types of uh, activities. Whereas now in a hybrid environment, you can have people who are experiencing the same communication, but in either a formal or informal way, in a hybrid or in person way. And so what we need to do is help uh, our colleagues to sort of balance and promote these activities. They can capture views and also the sentiment of the organization organization um, and capturing that, I think, is going to be one of the differentiators uh, in the future so that we are better able to be sure about where sentiment lies within an organization. Interesting. And I really enjoy the idea of comms uh, needing to be careful but deliberate. But how do you balance or counterbalance the need for structured communication with that flexibility and autonomy across your channels? The first thing we have to do is think about what the the spectrum is. And that spectrum can run everything from the ability today to analyze uh, sentiment within our communication through a simple sort of AI analysis and at the same time, understanding you know what people feel and think uh, through the corridors of any normal organization where people are working together. And 
To me, this comes down to having much, much clearer channel strategies. So we really need to sort of understand our channels and govern their purpose and then the content of those channels so that we can maximize their performance. So you've got to decide, for example, if you use enterprise-wide social media, what's it for? Who should be using it? You know, And what should they use it for? How do they promote and govern the channels which achieve the best outcomes? And without that analysis and the des- deliberation, coming back to that term again, Lamar, we've got to be much more deliberate in the way that we think about our channel strategies, because we now need to be much more deliberate about our communication channels, because individuals are now consuming them in different ways and in different places. And that means that we have to be very, very clear what the purpose of those channels are. And Paul, what maybe what are some of the ways that you would recommend to positively reinforce your user generated content guidelines? It's really interesting, Lamar, because it's actually about having those guidelines. If you imagine, you know, we're a law firm and lawyers are at pains to ensure quite rightly that they can explain every nuance and every element of what it is that they're working on. And of course, that that in a presentation and a video or a podcast actually is pretty much attention, uh, which is very strong against people's attention spans. So what you have is the desire, the legitimate desire for people to want to explain every element of this so that they can demonstrate that they understand, uh, that they have expertise, but at the same time, you have the uh, the viewer or the listener in mind. So, so guidelines are really important in providing the guide rails that people can work with in in order to create something that is useful, interesting, consumable by individuals um, who will, who we need to share this information with. And that's where I think user-generated content um, can often be a very kind of, in some ways, built out of emotion. People want to share, they're very keen to share, but they do need to be helped to think about how that sharing actually is consumed. And so guidelines can be very, very important. I mean, let's not forget, they also can be very helpful for organizations to help them manage their reputation, uh, to ensure that people don't stray beyond the bounds of what we ought to and should be uh, sharing within uh, various channels uh, across the organization inside and out. So guidelines, I think, have to exist. And it's very noticeable when you look at organizations where those guidelines are either um, not in existence or not adhered to. You see a very mixed quality of what is uh, produced. And indeed, you sometimes can be quite confusing in what is shared and provided to audiences. Guidelines can really help people to think through what it is they're doing and to help them to deliver something which actually meets that rubric of consistency and accuracy and quality as well. But having the solutions in place, what balance should be giving to top-down communication compared to bottom-up? And how would you enrich your communications with user-generated content. Well, Abar, it's it's all about this question of inclusion in a way. And if we start with leadership communication first, I think the opportunity the post-pandemic environment has presented to us is that we no longer need to depend upon the physical presence of leadership. And you know, we all know, you know, you drop the pebble in the pond, the leader visits and the, the ripples uh, emerge from that in-person uh, engagement. And those ripples are often very, very powerful indeed. And the thing is, we, that's usually or traditionally been built around 
physical presence. We now need to create those pebbles, but from a digital and online perspective. And and so how do we do that? Well, I think from a top-down point of view, you actually have um, you have to create online more personality around leaders because we have to be able to understand their personalities in order for us to buy their strategies and buy their uh, need to deliver those strategies. And, and therefore, that's something which is a shift, I think, because previously we always relied upon the presence of a leader in order to do that. Now, uh, we're looking at a very different uh, en- environment. And so that's a real opportunity for us because we're now looking at how you manage and you curate that presence and those digital channels so that leadership uh, and their presence and their personality are amplified through those channels. Now, when we think about user-generated content, obviously, um, we have the means now to uh, collect and collate uh, uh, input from all of our people within the organization. And we also have the means to organize that, edit, curate it in a way that's uh, useful and helpful. But we do have to understand, I think, as organizations, that if someone uh, walks outside of our organization and maybe they're traveling uh, home, they may well be listening to a podcast like this. And what we need to think about is that the standards of production and the ability to drive content need to be much, much higher and equate to some of those amazing amazing podcasts that we can listen to, which are now you know, a very successful industry. And when you look at some of these, the, uh, the balance between if you like, information and expertise and entertainment is really, really evident. And I, I constantly remind people that when we're thinking about our online channels and uh, particularly, say, making videos and podcasts uh, within an organization, think about who you're competing with because you are competing. You're competing for the time and attention of the people in your organization. And if you don't feel you can reach the threshold that will ensure that people will turn away from some of these great productions they're able to consume, then you will not succeed. And so the user-generated content piece is fantastic because we can collect, collate, and deliver huge amounts of user-generated content, but it has to be managed exceedingly well for it to be able to compete with all those other things that we like to do once we leave the workplace. Fantastic. And once you have all this in place, the big question is, how do you measure the effectiveness of communication channels when you've implemented uh, your strategy? And how are you using that information to address potential gaps or breakdowns in your channel consistency? So firstly, it is about measuring. And, and, And I think that probably one of the best developments within the communications community and, and profession is that uh, nobody is now you know with their head in the sand saying I don't need to measure so measure 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 is really really critical uh, and so the first point is you need to do the measurement if you don't do the measurement it's not going to happen so make sure you measure now the next thing is I think to use the measurement to make decisions if you don't uh, if you get all this measurement and it's great and it piles high and you can have reports to the left and reports to the right but you're not making decisions based on them then you are not using your measurement uh, correctly and I think that sometimes the measurement truth can be very very painful and it can be really really demotivating and and so 
we need to be able to be confident that we will do the measurement, but then it needs to be able to spur us on to sort of better and greater communication. And in order to do that, we need much more sophisticated uh, methods of measurement. And I think that takes everything from your kind of, you know, clicks and views, which, you know, which are taken as a sort of a, taken as read much more towards the measurement of, of sentiment. Because if you can understand the sentiment of the organization, then I think you're in a, a very, very different place because that is actually valuable insight and information. And, and I think it's fair to say that if we think about leaders, they often seek sort of value validation and indeed form of development on the broadest sense for an organization through data. And sometimes we as communication professionals have that data that can unlock whether it be innovation or, or actually sometimes reinforce some of the established approaches that the organization has. When I was at Philips, we did uh, some very detailed analysis of our enterprise-wide social media. And what we were able to understand was who was talking to whom. So we looked at it in terms of senior leadership, talking to uh, middle management, middle management, talking to uh, line management, line management to employees. And by looking at that analysis, we were actually able to understand and identify a gap between uh, middle management and line managers. So line managers were actually getting more input and engagement through uh, enterprise-wide uh, enterprise social media with the leadership of the organization, the, the, the executive leadership of the, of the organization. Organization. And when you can identify that, it really helps the leadership to inspire and sometimes sort of cajole and persuade middle management to actually get involved and engaged because the opportunity is missed. But at the same time, it helps us to understand where our messages uh, should be and who should perhaps uh, deliver them as well. So that's that's what I mean by understanding not just uh, you know clicks and views, really trying to understand wh what is happening within the organization. Add that to an understanding of sentiment. And again, perhaps an example I can give you. When I was at BG Group, we were going through a very tricky acquisition. When I was at BG Group, a really interesting example of where we would measure NPS, net promoter score, for all of the different parts of the organization. And what that allowed us to do was to understand where we may have challenges with leaders within those parts of the organization in bringing the story of the acquisition to life. And having the confidence of people within those parts of the business it actually helped us to focus our efforts and to look at different parts of the organization as some who were actually leaders and encourage those to go to other parts of the organization and share their enthusiasm or their understanding with other parts of the organization as well. So it's that type of analysis that I find communication professionals often have at their fingertips and is often very, very popular uh, with others within the organization who are seeking to drive strategy as well. Well, thank you, Paul. We've arrived at pretty much the end of our discussion, but I had one final question that I asked all of our guests of Masters of Comms, which is, would you mind sharing with us the title of a book or film that had a significant impact on you recently and why? Well, good question, Lamar. Good question. I've just uh, recently uh, read um, David Sedaris's diaries, which are called, a, I think it's a carnival of snackery. Now, people who don't know who David Sedaris is, uh, he's a, an American author, 
And he writes in a sort of autobiographical way, but a very self-deprecating way. So he really does sort of have fun at his own expense. And I do recommend anyone who enjoys that type of writing. He's really, really superb. He also has a very strange um, habit of um, at his book signings, he will stay there and sign everyone's book and he will not leave until everyone has signed. And this has meant he sometimes spent hours and hours and hours at the end of his uh, book tours uh, signing these books, which is which is great. But he's very, very funny. And the thing that's interesting about David Sedaris's book is that it's that kind of heady mix of he's a brilliant observer of life and he elevates the mundane to uh, the most hilarious, but also um, the uh, the realities of, of life. And, and I think his diaries are a real inspiration for anyone who has that secret desire, like I have, to write that book and elevate life, you know, that our, our boring and our mundane lives and, and to elevate those into something uh, that is very sort of uh, prosaic. And so therefore, I'm kind of I'm very inspired by someone who seems to effortlessly sort of capture that mood and emotion. And yes, one day I will write that book. Well, I wish you luck in writing that book. It sounds uh, fantastic. Well, Paul, thank you for joining and responding to my questions today. Thank you very much indeed, Lamar. This was Masters of Calms, the podcast where transformative communication techniques straight from the pros. Follow us here to get the next episode. See you soon.